It's always interesting working in a, a volunteer organization. You know, we all use our gifts and talents as best we can. And and sometimes church is, is a cross between, I don't know if you remember it, uh, Roland and Martin's Laugh-In and the Gong Show. <laughs> well, we do the best we can as a congregation, and we really miss Jason and Tracy. <clears throat> um, thank you, Dave, for that most entertaining and insightful children's message. And thank you to our musicians who have led us in worship. Um, Rick, for looking after us in the tech side. Um, it takes all of us to make this thing work. Uh, Jason called me this morning. I think he just wanted to make sure I was here. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't taken off. Um, he sends his greetings and best wishes, and he's praying for us this morning. Let's pray before we continue. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you that uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, we have captured, or you have captured, uh, the essence of Jesus' life and the commands that he has uh, given to us to be his representatives in this, this time. Speak to us from your word this morning. Father, don't let me get in the way. Um, we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're continuing our, our journey between that period of time of the, the Passover, when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, and Pentecost, a period of about 40 days. And, and last week we were reminded of how, how human it was for Thomas to, to doubt. And Melody walked us through his journey as we uh, considered the disciples' responses to his, his resurrection. Um, and uh, Luke, in, in the first chapter of Acts, says that Jesus appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days and gave them many convincing proofs. Gave them many convincing proofs. Thomas is just one example of, of why they needed those convincing proofs. Because even, even after walking with Jesus for three years and seeing the miracles that he had done, they, they still didn't quite get the full picture. They hadn't seen Jesus. Some of them hadn't seen Jesus yet. And so they were still doubting. And, you know, it may be that people in our culture today have that same problem. They're still doubting. Can this Jesus, this wonderful man who did these amazing things, can he really have come back from the dead? Did he really rise from the dead? Did he come from the grave? You may have some doubts and questions. And so the reason uh, Luke says this is, is it, it's evident that these disciples at this time, and us probably, needed these convincing proofs that he was alive. We understand from John that, that the disciples were fearful. In fact, they, they were hiding behind closed doors after, after Jesus had been arrested. Um, and, and some of them, probably Peter, were ashamed of the things that he had done by uh, denying that he knew Jesus during that period of time. And we understand that Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. Others doubted as well. Some of the convincing proofs that help us to understand who this Jesus was was um, on this passage in Luke. Um, the, the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. And I'd like to read that because I think it captures many of the different issues that the disciples were struggling with at that time. 
Number one, they were fearful. They were hiding in fear. They had not captured this awesome wonder that Jesus rose from the dead. Let me read this to you. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and they, as they walked, they discussed these things and each other, with each other, and Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these last days? What things? Jesus is playing playing them. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of them, our companions, sorry, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So we said said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to, to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Well, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Well, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That would have been Rudy's little light to say, pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention. Weren't our... We had the willies in our tummy when he was speaking to us. So, not just on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appeared to them on the Sea of Galilee. You remember the story? The the disciples, after being bummed out and fearful, decided to go fishing. Probably some of us would consider doing the same thing. And they fished all night, hadn't caught a thing. And then they see this guy over on the shore and the fire going. And the guy says, hey, have you caught any fish? No, nothing. It's kind of like fishing with me sometimes. And he says, well, try fishing on the other side of the boat. Fish on the right side. Well, sure enough, we know the story. The nets were full to overflowing. They were concerned that the, the, the net was going to break. Um, then all of a sudden, one of the disciples recognizes Jesus. Peter grabs his coat, jumps in the water, heads over to shore, leaving the rest of the guys to bring the boat and the fish. And <clears throat> turns out that, yes, this is Jesus appearing to them once again. And he had fish on the fire and bread, invited them to for breakfast, and they had 153 big fish 
I am amazed that somebody actually counted them. Um, <clears throat> but the detail there is, is significant. And again, one of, one of the other appearances of Jesus. Um, another appearance was that Jesus met them on a mountain in Galilee where he had told them to go. And it says that they worshipped him, but some doubted. Not just one, but some. And so this is some of the mindset. We're waiting for this Messiah to come and restore Jerusalem. Uh, we, we think he's going to be our king and our leader, but now he's gone. We, we've heard he's here, but he's not there. And then he shows up and then he's gone. Um, the fear of being arrested. Some of the things that these disciples are wrestling with. Well, this morning, the passage I, I want to focus on <clears throat> comes right exactly after, in fact, at the time uh, that, that Jesus spoke to the, these folks on this mountain. And we call it the Great Commission. One of the, the fabulous um, charges that we have of what is the church to be about? What is the business of the church? Um, this is one of those passages that we've used for years to, to uh, help us understand what our mission is in this world. It's in Matthew, uh, the 28th chapter, starting with verse <coughs> uh, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. <clears throat> and so I'd like to unpack this a little bit for us this morning. First of all, the question is, why did he have to say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth? So he's moved from this Jesus being a friend, prophet, Someone who did miracles, dies on the cross, and taught many good things, demonstrated many good things. But, but these, these fellows were waiting for their king to restore uh, the, the, the kingdom to Jerusalem, to get them out from underneath Roman rule, but to restore uh, the kingdom to them. And he says, all authority has been given to me. It's easy for us to, to understand this as we look back in Scripture. We see a number of illustrations and, and comments that say to us, Jesus is God. If we just look at um, John 1.1, 1, 1, He was with God in the beginning and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. Jesus the Creator. <clears throat> Paul said that in Him, in Colossians, in Him all things hold together. Jesus, the sustainer. Jesus wanted these guys to understand <clears throat> who they were going to be representing. And he wanted to pass on to them the power and the ability to live out this command, this great commission. Um, a little bit later, we'll see on the day of Pentecost that he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, their eyes are opened and uh, this mystery of Christ is revealed to them. <clears throat> Therefore, go. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations. For the disciples, that may have been very confusing. Again, we go back to this thought that Jesus, we thought Jesus was coming to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem, to the Jews to give us back our land, to be our king. But it was so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. 
and they're, they're stuck a little bit in their, in their understanding. So, when he says to go to all peoples, that would include the Gentiles. And yet we know that the Gentiles, to a good Jew, are nothing better than dogs. What's this about, Jesus? How do I make sense of this? I've got this huge history that says there is this distinct difference between Jews and Gentiles, and we don't associate. And now you're sending us out to all nations? Well, it isn't until we get well into the book of Acts and the early church of the history, <coughs> early history of the church, that we see the Holy Spirit helping the disciples understand the breadth of this command. Um, Philip in Samaria, on the road to Gaza with the Ethiopian eunuch, shared his faith and shared the scriptures. Peter was called to Cornelius. Remember those dreams that he had, the visions? Rise, Peter. And Peter says, I'm not having anything to do with that. <clears throat> but the Lord said, do not call anything impure that, that God has made clean. And so it, it just these kinds of things were really upsetting to the, to the disciples, trying to make sense of them. It's easy for us to look back and see what Paul has written, that, that by Christ's sacrifice, uh, we have made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, that we are all now one body, one family. But to the fellows who were coming out of this resurrection experience, it was a real transition. And the, the latest word is, this would be a whole new paradigm for them. As we go on, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the formula we use when we, when we go down to the lake and we I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to be buried, oh, to be buried and raised to walk. I make sure you bring them back. Buried and raised to walk in a new life. And those are the words that we use. <clears throat> but why baptism? What's what's behind this this um, experience of baptism? The Jews did have um, a, a historical uh, habit of cleansing their homes. They called it baptizing, cleaning, washing, cleaning up to make sure that they were ready for, for the Passover. And so there was, there was some understanding of this word. We understand that John baptized, that he came to prepare the way for the, for the Savior, uh, prepare the way for Jesus. <clears throat> His baptism was for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Mark and Matthew uh, tell us that Jesus was baptized because it was a proper thing to do, to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't need <coughs> to repent. But it was the right thing to do, and so Jesus did it. And, and we find that John and Mark both describe that they saw the heavens open up, being torn apart, and the Spirit descending like a dove the voice who said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And it occurred on this occasion. So God was pleased with Jesus with this act, even though he didn't have to do it. But he, he, he kind of solidified its importance to us in the church because the tradition continued. On Acts 2.38, the first day of the, the church, 
Um, Peter had just spoken to uh, the people who had come from all over the different lands to celebrate uh, Pentecost. And he preached to them the sermon that this Jesus whom you crucified was your Messiah. And it was a much bigger sermon than that. And he used a couple different Old Testament uh, scriptures to, to reinforce the, the prophetic significance of Jesus coming and, and uh, what his, his uh, sacrifice was all about. <coughs> Excuse me. just lost my place. <laughs> okay. So after he had preached that sermon, the people of that audience, thousands of them, <clears throat> uh, said they were, they were cut to their hearts, the scripture says. They were, they were guilty, feeling terrible guilt that they had, had committed this Messiah to death. And what shall we do to be saved? And Peter says um, that you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we became the tradition in the Christian church that baptism has a significant role to play. Well, Peter tells us in First in First Peter three, <clears throat> referring to the to the water of the flood back in Noah's time, he says. The, the water of the flood symbolized baptism that now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from your body, but it's a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. And he says it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some of us, this gets a little bit confusing. We know that our sins were taken away by Jesus' blood. And we know that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's a gift. And we, we receive that gift through faith. And yet, here we have some, some very clear um, connection between the significance of baptism as well. That it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> and it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, <clears throat> in Romans, we have another um, relationship. And Paul said that don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. For we have united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection. And so baptism is, is symbolic in some, in some ways. It's a shadow. <clears throat> and it helps us to understand, as we come to the communion time, significance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The significance in baptism and the significance for us as we come around the table that Jesus' death, his shed blood, was what... Uh, washed away our sins, the sins of all mankind, once and for all. 